everyone remain calm. Back for more, huh? Oh, yeah. Ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. But then later there's running and then screaming. Somebody talk to me! What is happening? Welcome to Jurassic World. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Jurassic Park Podcast. How long is it going to take for that to spread around the globe? This was all John Hammond's dream. Hold on to your butt. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 294th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. In this episode, we present another installment of Dino DNA with Connor O'Keefe. Now, this week, Connor is joined once again by James Ronan to discuss the Ceratopsians of the series, how they are in the films how they were in real life, and uh, of course everything in between. And I am once again leaving it with Connor and James to give you all the details on some of the dinosaurs of the Jurassic Park franchise. Now, before we get started on the show, I'd like to take care of some quick business. So last week was a fairly big week over over on the podcast side of things. Uh, Tom Jurassic did a fantastic job covering Jurassic World Evolution 2 and the Chaos theory mode he was actually given a chance to play that mode uh he got a a chance to record some gameplay uh give his thoughts on the game he had a bonus podcast there was so much stuff so please take a look at jurassicparkpodcast.com you'll find an article from tom so please give that one a read uh also listen to the bonus podcast uh it probably popped up in your feed ahead of this one but just wanted to give you a heads up anyway If you didn't check it out, it was a bonus podcast with Tom Jurassic chatting with the Gaming Beaver and Best in Slot about Chaos Theory Mode. So please go check out that podcast, go download it, listen to it, share it around. Um, And also there is a video version, not their faces or anything like that, it's just a video version of the audio. Uh, So please, uh, if you want to use that one, just go ahead and use that one on YouTube. So there were also a few videos from last week from Tom as well. Uh, He put together a shorter uh, impressions video where he kind of gives his quick thoughts on the game itself, the the Chaos Theory mode. So please go check out that one. But there was also an hour-long gameplay video. So that is up on our YouTube channel as well. So Tom, bravo. Thank you so much uh, for the awesome content last week. You really killed it. You nailed it. And I I think everybody's really enjoying it out there. So please, if you have not checked it out, go check out his two videos. Well, make that three videos. uh, The bonus podcast and the article. Uh, Head to JurassicParkPodcast.com. We'll have uh, all of that summarized right over there. And also, of course, just a huge shout out to Frontier for giving us the opportunity to record and uh, and to to play the game ahead of time and to share that with everybody out there. Thank you so much to Frontier and everybody at Jurassic World Evolution 2. You're all super awesome. So outside of the Evolution 2 content that Tom put together, um, I did a video over on YouTube last week, and it was actually me and Names chatting. You can actually see us us talking to, to to each other which is awesome i always love that and i'm going to try to get into that a little bit more uh, apologies for the memes chat though because for some reason my video wasn't working too well but uh, i'm going to try to get that figured out on my end but anyway it was still a great chat so if you wanted to see us talk 
go give a look at uh, the video over there. Also, I did a live stream as always, every Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, I did a live stream talking about uh, an unexpected topic, which was the first hybrid of Jurassic World. When did that take place? What was it? Um, and we have a big debate in there, uh, canonically speaking. Um, and then we talked about the, the Raptor field guide from Evolution 2. We talked about Dr. Wu in Jurassic World Dominion and so much more, so please go check out that live stream. They're always so, so much fun, and we have such a great time talking with everybody in the community and everybody in the chat, so please uh, give a watch to our live streams Wednesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, this week, uh, we do have, uh, like I said, that video of the uh, Gaming Beaver and Best in Slot will be popping up this week. Uh, I know I said last week that there's a toy hunt out there. There is. I'll get to posting that at some point. I, I kind of got a little behind last week on that. So maybe keep an eye out for it this week. I don't know. There will be a live stream chat, uh, as always, Wednesday night. And uh, I don't know if any of you are Star Wars fans out there, but we should be doing a Forcecast Live on uh, the Forcecast's Facebook page Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So please check that out as well. Um, but uh, yeah, that's probably about it. So why don't we go ahead and get this episode kicked off? by learning a little bit about the Ceratopsians of the Jurassic Park franchise in Dino DNA. Well, maybe dinosaurs have more in common with present-day birds than they do with reptiles. You do understand these are actual animals, right? You read about them in books, you see the bones in museums, but you don't really believe it. You should hear a four-year-old try to say Archaeornithomimus. I read both of your books. You liked dinosaurs back then. All vertebrate embryos are inherently female anyway. They just require an extra hormone given at the right developmental stage to make them male. You know that I'm not at liberty to reveal the asset's genetic makeup. Nothing in Jurassic World is natural. You will see a herd of the first dinosaurs on our tour, called Dilophosaurus. How would you classify it, Billy? Suchomimus snow. Think bigger. Baryonyx. Spinosaurus aegyptic. Actually, Charlie, those are herbivores. They really wouldn't be interested in fighting with each other. But these ones here are carnivores, and they really like fighting with each other. They use their teeth and their claws to rip each other's throats out. Al, he's three. Let's wait till he's five. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Dino DNA. I'm Connor O'Keefe. I'm your host, as normal, and we're joined once again by James Ronan. Hi James. Hey Connor, how are you? I'm doing I'm doing really good actually today. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm pretty tired. I've got a lot of thesis work to do, but uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, I can imagine it's getting really busy right now coming up to the end of the the, the year. So uh, so yeah, thank you so much for sparing some yeah, time. Yeah, no, for no, this. it's fine. It's it's just great to just talk more Jurassic and paleo content. I can't wait to get started. So for everyone joining, if this is your first Dino DNA, what we do in this segment is we explore the creatures seen in the Jurassic franchise. We'll be taking a look at their designs and then also looking at the real life extinct animals that inspired them. Now, in many cases, they vary from their real world counterparts um, as paleontology is constantly progressing with new discoveries every year. And also these are films. There's lots of artistic license and merit in these designs. And this isn't a critique of the films. It's more of an exploration of the design choices and comparing those to what we now know about these dinosaurs which could quite possibly change in the future because it's constantly evolving. Um, 
Paleontology is based on a lot of educated guesses, um, theories based on fossil evidence. So therefore, we can't be completely sure of some things, but we're going to do our best to piece together things based on the current fossil record. And today is a really exciting episode because we're going to be talking about the Ceratopsians featured in the Jurassic film franchise. So, uh, James, you want to... Do you have much of a background on ceratopsians? I know, I know a fair bit. I mean, I'm, I'm mostly been looking at hadrosaurs for most of this past year because that's what my my thesis is on, looking at hadrosaur uh, mandibular sort of dentition, sort of looking at how the jaws change over the over the Cretaceous. But uh, I know a fair bit about about ceratopsians. They're quite similar in terms of their sort of jaw sort of dentition, and obviously there's a lot of you know ecological sort of niche partitioning and stuff. So. But um, I mean, I've always been a big fan of ceratopsians anyway, since since JP and, you know, Disney's dinosaur and stuff. There's been a lot of, you know, you know, they've been pretty prominent throughout all the movie, all, you know, all films, all dinosaur media. So they're quite well known dinosaurs, really, aren't they? They are they're And they're absolutely fantastic creatures. And just on that note, so uh, in case you missed it, do go back um in time to listen to the previous um, Dino DNA episode with James. That was episode 286, which released in August 2021, um, to hear all about hadrosaurs. Um, so that might give you a bit of background as well when we get into talking about their feeding, um, as James has just mentioned. Um, so yeah, I think without further ado, um, let's get into it. So Ceratopsians, um, that word ceratopsian is Greek for horned faces, uh, which makes a lot of sense if you've ever seen a ceratopsian. Quite often they have horns, but it's not always the case, is it, James? No, it's not. I mean, most of them uh, do, but then, you know, some of most most of them have beaks. Um, some of yeah. them don't have horns. Obviously, a lot of them have frills as well, but um, but the group's quite diverse. Um, so you've got there's some ceratopsians that are bipedal, um, like Cetacosaurus. And then um, there's there's other ones as well, like, you know, obviously like Triceratops that, you know, are quadrupedal. And it is, it is interesting because obviously they're quite diverse for, 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 the, for what they are. And, you know, there are so many different species of them. So they're just, I would say they're just as diverse as the hadrosaurs, really. You know, they're global, um, North America, you know, China. Um, so, you know, we, we've got specimens from all over. So they're really great dinosaurs to, to look at. And there's some absolutely incredible diversity, isn't there, in terms of their their frill shape, the, the types of horns. It's like it's seemingly like infinite combinations and different styles you before we get into the ones from the jurassic franchise do you have a, a particular favorite james uh i would say probably obviously triceratops is probably standard you know like i grew up with that dinosaur but i do i have to admit i do like the nusutoceratops just because it's mm. it's really bull-like in terms of like that you know the horn structure and uh it just when you look at the beak as well the beak's very sort of distinct um and and you know the, the frill as well is quite short so you know i'd say that's definitely up there i think sort of the way it was depicted in battle at big rock and also the dominion previews just sort of made me love nasutoceratops yeah. a bit more just because it wasn't a very well-known dinosaur you know up until sort of fairly recently um and sort of has sort of become more a bit more well known but i i just I, I think the way the dinosaur looks is like really quite impressive so you know back in its heyday it must, must have looked amazing yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, so w its appearance in Battle at Big Rock was for sure the first time I'd seen that specific Yeah, uh, it was the same for, same for me, yeah. There's just so many. I, I think 
probably my favorite would actually be the Chasmosaurus, and that's probably because of its toy in the Lost World uh, toy line. I just have, I I just love that figure so much. It just it's just so cool. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's probably my favorite, and it's got this huge, really tall, almost like quite quite rectangular frill, frill with yeah. quite small horns. Yeah, it's quite cute. I think, yeah. Um, but yeah, so so there's there's lots and lots out there, but there are three specific um, ones that we're going to be talking about today, and those are of course the Triceratops, the Nasutoceratops, which we've spoken about, um, and also the Cynoceratops as well. Um, so I think it would be good if we start off, we kick off with the classic Jurassic Triceratops. Um, so they've been in every Jurassic movie so far, one of four species that have been in every movie. Um, Parasaurolophus, which was on the previous Dino DNA episode, that was one of the others, and then Tyrannosaurus and Velociraptor as well. Um, and yeah, just, I mean, kind of needs no introduction, does it? Like, pretty much everyone, whether they're a dinosaur fan or not, they know what a Triceratops looks like, don't they? Yeah, I mean, the most, I, I think they're probably the most standard dinosaur now, like, yeah. <laughs> globally. I think everybody knows what a Triceratops is, or has at least heard of it. Um, and I, I think, obviously, the design of it hasn't really, when you look at, sort of, obviously, the skeletal sort of restoration of it, yeah. it hasn't really changed too much, really. I think that's the thing. It's a very standard dinosaur, and the, yeah. you know, the pose, unlike other dinosaurs like Spinosaurus, for example, which is a theropod, like obviously that the way it's been posed in terms of its stance has changed so much. And then you look at Triceratops, it's just like it's hardly changed really. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think this is the thing. It's it's a well loved dinosaur, and you know, and it has every right to be well loved because it is so. It is a special dinosaur, and. I think the fact that it has this history with Tyrannosaurids and, you know, it's, yeah. it's got this this long history where we know that it was that predator-prey dynamic and they probably were in some really brutal fights. I mean, it just sort of sparks the imagination, doesn't it? It's Yeah, it's, it's crazy because quite often in uh in my job at, at the museum it, it, it's a lot of myth busting around oh well not all dinosaurs were always fighting like they are in the movies mm -hmm. but actually when it comes to triceratops and tyrannosaurus there is direct fossil evidence of that happening yeah there is yeah there? um so yeah so it's triceratops got a really cool name um that's quite simple to understand so it means three-horned face so try like a tricycle uh, so three, and then Sarah, like in Ceratopsian, uh, that's horn, and then tops, so face, three horn face. Um, and yeah, an absolutely iconic silhouette. Um, really hard to mistake this for any other dinosaur. And they, as as James mentioned, they coexisted with Tyrannosaurus, and that was at the end of the Cretaceous, around it was about 68 to 66 million years ago. Yep, that's, and that's correct, yeah. Yeah, and um, lived in North America um, as well. So would, has been discovered across the USA um, in the northern reaches. Um, and it was actually discovered uh, a, quite a long time ago um, in 1889 by O'Neill Charles Marsh. Um, I don't know, if James, if you wanted to give a little, a little line about who O'Neill Charles Marsh was. He was quite an infamous fella in his day and still is quite an infamous paleontologist i mean he's sort of you know identified dozens of specimens and you know he's just a really well-known paleontologist um who really influenced the field um you know he was he founded sort of donations um 
for the Peabody Museum of Natural History. I was actually in contact with them not that long ago, actually, because I was oh, awesome. <laughs> getting some getting some images um, from them for for my thesis to be used um, to measure. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting when you look at sort of the legacy of paleontology because obviously he's written quite a few papers that I've sort of looked at and stuff. And I think like you know, paleontology is such a, a field that's really been changed by these people like Marsh and you know like Huxley and yeah. Um, you know, and, and, you know, um, Richard Owen as well, like all these, all these people have just really influenced the field. So, um, but yeah, I think Triceratops, like when you think about Triceratops, you always think obviously first appearance in Jurassic Park is probably one of the images that comes to mind. Um, and I feel like the way it's depicted in that film it's just it's a special moment i think that's the thing yeah. I mean, you see you see the see triceratops depicted in other media i think it does make an appearance in like fantasia 2000 and yeah some of these other films but i feel like that the appearance in Jurassic park remains special and yeah i think just sort of that influence it's had thereon it's just always been sort of a standard part of the franchise hasn't it yeah i think what really sets its that first um, kind of initial appearance in Jurassic Park from other kind of appearances in media was that it wasn't this beast. It was it was an animal. It was sick. Like normally something with such you know strong features like the horns on its face is shown to be this like rhino like rampaging beast. And yet here we are and it's 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 incapacitated on the ground and it's treated like a real animal, um, which obviously is a thing that the Jurassic films do really well. Um, but yeah, especially with that Triceratops right out of the bat, probably it's like the, after the Brachiosaurus, it's one of the first dinosaurs we actually get to see in its entirety on screen. Um, and is yeah, just such an impactful moment and it really connects you with the animal. Um, and yeah, like they, they push through those bushes and props to the design team. It's unmistakably a Triceratops. Uh, <laughs> It's yeah, it looks pretty good, I think, in that first movie. I think it holds up ridiculously well. I think yeah. just sort of, I, I feel like with what Stan Winston and the team were going for back then, I feel like the way it performed was just yeah. out, out of this world. And I think that's why that scene when Timmy walks up to it is just like, it's it's an incredibly moving scene, but it's also just it just shows you sort of the beauty of animatronics and movie magic yeah, because it's just yeah. sort of one of those scenes where you're actually you see the characters interacting with a, what looks like a real life dinosaur and yeah. um, it's also beautifully just you know recreated as well in terms of how it looks um but obviously it's, it does um, differ a little bit to what we know in, in paleontology a little bit as well yeah yeah so in terms of its there, there, there is a habit obviously with some dinosaurs in the Jurassic franchise of going through quite dramatic size changes from the real life counterparts such as the Velociraptor and the Dilophosaurus but with this one they're pretty much on the ball it's estimated to have been around nine meters long in in life uh, when it existed upon this planet and in the movie according to the DPG website um, it listed it as 8.9 meters so pretty accurate and then the JP3 size chart put it at 10.6 meters um so really quite close to its its real life size which really helps give it like it does feel very much grounded in reality they didn't size it up to a ridiculous proportion it feels like a real animal and i think they were using lots of real animals to kind of base its appearance on which 
which have have led to some aspects of it kind of being a bit different from the real life creature but overall it looks great that the skin especially in that original animatronic is is does follow what we've seen in the fossil record quite closely because we've been lucky enough to to unearth um imp skin impressions of ceratopsians and uh, they are shown to have uh, a, a bunch of different shaped scales um, with some bony scoots as well. And that, that, that Jurassic Park 1 Triceratops design does have bony scoots along the top of its back. Have you noticed those, James? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I mean, I think just as well, like the colorization, I think it's really interesting that they were going for like a blue, blue kind yeah. of tone for the, for the, for the dino. And then obviously when they moved out to Kuai to like yeah. film the scene, obviously they got covered in mud. But yeah, yeah, it makes yeah. the scene sort of better, really, because actually it does look, it looks more sort of textured when you look at the yeah. actual, the diet, the, you know, when you look at the, the skin. And, obviously and it you, looks like it's actually in the environment as well. You do, it? yeah. I, th I, think this, I think if it was fully blue, I think it might have been a little bit too contrasting maybe with the environment, yeah. because obviously when you look at obviously the green of the of the of the you know the grass and stuff leading up i feel like the brown kind of it sort of hides it a little bit more yes um yeah and it kind of like obviously because there's mud on the floor anyway so but um but yeah you know I, I think the scene is it's an incredible scene to watch and i think it's just it you can understand when what you know, obviously alan grant says obviously this was his you know his favorite dinosaur and you know, he says, you know, it's the, it's the most beautiful thing he's ever saw. You know, it's like, it sort of changes, I suppose, his perspective, like from looking at fossils to seeing it in, in you know, in person. And uh, I think the reactions of the cast and, you know, in that scene is just, yeah. it's, it's just great acting all around, isn't it? Yeah, they definitely really sell that moment. Um, and actually, yeah, just on that note about the um, covered in dirt and stuff, I think it also, like, when you see large animals that are around today, like elephants and rhinos, they are quite often covered in the dirt from the savannah in which they, they live in as well. So it really, yeah, it, for, for us as well, the audience, we recognise that as what large animals look like. They are covered in dirt. Um, but actually, just on that note about elephants and rhinos, what's quite interesting with the, the Triceratops is in the Jurassic franchise, and I think maybe a bit more when you get into the Jurassic World films, because it did go undergo a, a, quite a subtle redesign that is would be hard to spot if you weren't f intimately familiar with these designs as uh, we <laughs> we are. Um, but yeah, it does look quite inspired by a, a elephant or a rhino, especially when you get down to the way the skin is quite loose. Um, I'm not sure really if there's... Is, is, would that be accurate to the real world animal? Like quite a loose skin? I'm not too sure. I know that they changed the thrill. Um, like in the dress yeah. in Jurassic World, they've definitely they definitely did change the thrill. Um, and they made it slightly sort of shorter. Um, yeah. Because you can tell by by the sort of the the shape of like the brow the brow horns as well, like where they are and and stuff. But I feel like as well, you know, obviously the feet don't look they they look yes. more elephanty, and we see this kind of in like the Nisutoceratops as well um they, they go for this sort of like similar sort of foot structure to like an elephant which is a little bit little bit off but you know overall i think triceratops you know and the other ceratopsians they look pretty decent for what they are yeah. in, in the films i think they're good sort of represent fairly accurate representations and the dinosaurs in the Jurassic franchise up until this point anyway have been you know genetic hybrids anyway because they're not 100 percent pure so i feel like 
the way that they've been depicted has been sort of fairly spot on. I mean, you could say, well, they could be more colourful, but then the, the, the Jurassic dinosaurs have never been properly yeah. out there up until more recently. So, um, yeah, I think in terms of colour, we're going to see more more colour being used in, in Dominion for sure. But um, yeah, but yeah, I, I feel like one of the things that obviously we haven't really seen has been sort of that sort of display um, behavior and sort of um, defense behavior, which obviously Triceratops is sort of known for, for, you know, mostly yeah. sort of defense and stuff. And it would be great just to have like a, a scene of like a, you know, a defense display or whatever in, you know, in a future film. Because um, that's the, the, the kind of leading theory on, um, on its frill use is, is for display, isn't it? Yeah, and it's but it, we also know that obviously they, they would have been used for you know interspecies um, fights, um, you know yeah. Triceratops obviously for you know d- during you know for mating, um, you know we see that within you know deer, you know fighting, yeah. um, you know other stags um, during sort of um, sort of the season, you know mating season and stuff like that. So it's you know it's, it's likely that Triceratops is similar. You know we have all these specimens of Ceratopsians with all these very sort of distinct frills and and you know brow horns and you know nasal horn and it's just like you know they're so distinct and they're all individually sort of sort of fairly different so it's like well what's the purpose of that you know so if it's doesn't really seem to be much of a sort of an adaptation in the sense of there's a there's obviously a purpose for it um, as well as just for the way the animal looks, and we, you know, we we know obviously it was for protection because we, we've got you know fossil evidence of tyrannosaurids with like teeth. Um, you know, there's fossilized impressions within like the frill and stuff. I mean, obviously it may not have protected the you know Triceratops fully, but we we do have fossil evidence in some respects. Some of these you know frills have like healed, so evidently the animal survived. So. Um, so, you know, it's likely for protection from, you know, other predators, but also against, you know, their own species as well with, with fights and stuff. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of discussion still about this and I don't know whether we'll ever be a hundred percent sure, yeah. but, um, but, you know, these theories are, you know, really interesting to sort of look at and, you know, the hypotheses of why, you know, why they might be used. But, um, I did see a really interesting paper that said that, um, they did some stress tests on the Triceratops skull. And if two adult Triceratops were to charge at each other, um, they would actually shatter their skulls, but they could definitely engage in like a interlocking horn kind of, uh, as you said, interspecies kind of um, conflicts, like territorial disputes over mates, that sort of thing. I thought that was really interesting um, because it is quite often depicted as just like charging um, in not necessarily in Jurassic, apart from in, I would say probably in a Lost World, it does charge into that Humvee and flip it. Yeah, it does flip um, it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it, it flips it quite yeah, far as well. It, does, yeah. it goes into the tree. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, maybe maybe not quite that strong, but that's yeah, that's it's super cool. So yeah, as you said, much like deer, how they how they kind of interlock their antlers and kind of push each other back. Um, that's yeah, it's so cool to imagine that sort of a. A display going on um also um i just kind of wanted to um get into um i guess they do show juveniles in the jurassic world films we've got the obviously the ones in the petting zoo and there's one in fallen kingdom as well in, in lockwood's manor and they have in 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 the um in the fossil records, the juveniles have much smaller frills proportionally to their body, don't they? Yeah. So this could also suggest that they are more useful 
as they mature to kind of um for, for those protection. reasons for, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think it's like interesting as well like the, the you know the way juveniles are depicted it's you know obviously they've got the smaller smaller frill and, and beak and stuff and I, I i feel like with the it's really interesting the dress of old petting zoo ones because i always question have they been just sort of genetically modified to just be in the petting zoo or are they actually juveniles of the oh, adults because it's yeah. just like you wouldn't have thought they would have separated the juveniles from the adults for that long just to put them in a petting zoo so i'm assuming that they've been genetically altered to stay that age within the mm. petting zoo so kids can ride them and stuff and you know to see them so like, i i i sort of always think that the the animals in the petting zoo and dress order are genetically stunted because obviously it would cost more for them to make more dinosaurs then just to sort of turn off sort of the aging genes and be like, well, these dinosaurs are just going to be this size forever. Um, so I, I don't really know. Yeah, it's never been properly confirmed, though. I don't know whether yeah. it's worth firing a tweet to Colin to find yeah. out or asking like <laughs> Chat Ewins, because Chat would probably know. He does all this stuff like DPG or whatever, whether... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because obviously, just going on a little bit of a tangent, I was talking to him a while ago about like the whole Lockwood sort of story in Fallen Kingdom. I was just like, well... Was was um you know was Lockwood um for the the Gene Guard Act which came in like in the nineties and Jack was like oh I, I'm not sure yet we haven't talked about that we haven't written it in yet and I was just like oh okay <laughs> so it's, it's it hasn't really been properly looked at but um but yeah I mean I think within the Jurassic franchise you know the more information that comes out about how the dinosaurs are sort of like living in their environments and you know how they've coped in the past you know um I think it's always interesting to find out but um. But I think the feeding in particular is quite interesting. We don't really see yeah. Triceratops sort of feeding. And yeah. we know that it fed on sort of ferns and sort of cycads and stuff like that. And um, I think, like, obviously it had a dental battery that was full of full of teeth, um, mainly sort of for, for grinding vegetation. I mean, mm. sort of the from what I know from, from some of the studies, I mean, there's been studies uh, looking at uh, variation in shape and mechanical performance of ceratopsids. Um, so this was done by... Fark at L. Um and you know, twenty fifteen. I mean there's been these papers that have looked at sort of uh ceratopsid sort of clades and sort of the different sort of mechanics of their jaws. Um and from what I, from what I know, obviously they kind of didn't really overlap with hadrosaurids. They were they were very sort of similar. Um, but you know, sort of they were mainly sort of specialized for for their own sort of ecological sort of niches, really. Right. Um because they've got um, Triceratops had up to about what was it eight hundred small teeth arranged in those batteries. Yeah, they, mouth, they did, it? and you know, obviously it was like vertical sort of um, movement as well, sort of grinding it down. But uh, I, I feel like with 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 the the jaws, obviously that within the prudentary as well, obviously you've got this this jaw mechanism which obviously forces more of the food backward. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, they're, they're really interesting um, and sort of distinct um, jaws, really. But I think like the ceratopsid jaws, you know, I think that, like like you said earlier, I feel like the mechanical performance is slightly, um, I think it's slightly more powerful than hadrosaurids. But I feel like that's okay. because, like you said, with the offset in terms of sort of the skull, um, I think that's why there's more power in the lower jaw compared to sort of back in the skull. You know, like you said, with the... Um, with the damage and stuff because of, you know, potential, you know, forces there. So, yeah. So, yeah. But, um, but I think like the niche partitioning is like always interesting to sort of examine. Cause it's just like, well, 
you've got all these herbivorous dinosaurs living at the same time period and it's just like yeah. well are they coexisting or are they overlapping and it's always interesting to sort of find out like how their jaws are being used and uh what food they're eating but from what i know like most of the the ceratopsians sort of were sort of around sort of swampland and sort of like marshy sort of type plains and stuff um because obviously you had sort of the cretaceous sort of yeah sort of the inland sea and stuff coming in and 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 stuff like that so there was lots of water around so so there was on that note of feeding um there is one behavior um that's really interesting they included for triceratops but the full the full explanation didn't include it wasn't included in the final cut of the movie and that was that it was swallowing stones to help grind up plant matter inside of its uh, its inside of a gizzard inside of its body um so these are called gastroliths and that was why it would sick in the first Jurassic film is that it was accidentally eating um the west indian lilac which was growing close to these these pebbles and stones that the triceratops was swallowing to grind up its foods now this is this is really interesting because they, they have 100% found gastroliths for sauropods and other herbivorous dinosaurs. But I'm not sure if there's any direct evidence of, of ceratopsians doing this. Do you know Do you know about that, James? I, I don't really. Um, yeah. I know, obviously, in the film, obviously, it's quite different as well because, obviously, in the in the novel, it's gonna, it was going to be like the Stegosaurus and stuff. Yeah. So, obviously, they, they did change it. And I feel like, in just in terms of how you think about the triceratops scene address it but i feel like it would have been so different if it was a stegosaurus just in front of everybody because yeah. it's just yeah. like well it's a very different looking dinosaur and it is but i feel like as well obviously it's not really talked about this this sequence in jp it's very you know quickly kind of resolved and it's just like well it's never brought up again either i think this is the yeah. problem with the, the there are issues in jp in terms of sort of depicting some of the storylines from the novel into the film and it's just like well it's never brought up again and we never see that triceratops again either um yeah from what i know actually from what i know in from the dpg I'm, I, I think that dinosaur died um mm. so but i know yeah. that you know there were various specimens that were were, were grown on on sauna and stuff and, and moved over so um but yeah i, I think I, from what i know i'm not sure how much fossil evidence there is we, we do obviously have fossil evidence of gastroliths in, in many dinosaurs but i don't really think there's been that many of that have really been found in terms of ceratopsians yeah. actually with ceratopsians like this is this is this is um this could potentially go some some extent to explain it because they have such that condensed battery of teeth in their mouth the, the reason why um the sauropods they 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 couldn't they couldn't mat grind their food up in their mouth they used to strip it off and swallow it down pretty much whole so having gastrolists would have really helped to grind up that matter but with the, with that strong beak and those ba- batteries of teeth perhaps they may not have needed that extra help as much but the, the truth is yeah we 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 just need the fossils, <laughs> basically. I think as well, like the vegetation that they were eating was like fairly. It wasn't that tough, like when compared to right. like hadrosaurids that were like breaking down sort of conifers and sort of rotting wood and stuff. I think the vegetation for ceratopsians is slightly less tough and stuff. Whereas, you, when, like you said, with sauropods, obviously they did have gastroliths because obviously they were such big animals that were growing to such large sizes, and they, you know, they had such large guts, you know with these peg-like teeth they just weren't able to grind stuff down so obviously gastroliths obviously were going to be ideal to help break down vegetation and these large guts obviously trying to process it all so yeah um, but yeah it's, it's, it's interesting obviously 
finding out more about it and um, hopefully you know there'll be more fossil specimens that can sort of help help us understand more how ceratopsians you know ate and and how they process the food yeah i mean there's always more things to discover it's it's kind of crazy though that triceratops there's at least 50 individuals have been found like so many individuals have been found for this this particular species and yet there's still much more to learn um I think, okay, I think maybe we'll head on over to our next Ceratopsian, but before we do, we'll do our, uh, the dino DNA uh, genome completion percentage. So bearing in mind that this is, looking at it, it's definitely a Triceratops, although it does have these strange feet, uh, which we'll get into a bit more with the next couple of dinosaurs. What would you place at? What sort of percentage would you place this one at, James? I would say probably about 80. Um yeah. Yeah. out of 100 but i i do also want to just to sort of mention like the horns like i feel like the brow horns look very bone-like and it's just like well uh, they probably yeah, they do. probably don't wouldn't have looked like how they did in the film you know yeah. we, we know they probably would have been ca- covered in keratin but i think like it would have been more of like a sheath probably so it would have been yeah probably would have been more um less looking like bone because obviously when you look at how it's depicted it just looks like the horns are just full bone on yeah display. they've got like cracks in them and exactly and, and you yeah it probably wouldn't have looked like that at all um they probably would have been, been quite sh- they never yeah the keratin sheath would have had a bit of a sheen to sheen it to like it, yeah you'd see on bison and such yeah. it would have been definitely a polished probably to it and obviously there would have been obviously protection over the bone obviously we know we found fossilized specimens with bones that have been broken and stuff so um you know, obviously it would have had some protection, but it wouldn't have just been exposed bone like we see in, yeah. the, see in the film. So, Yeah, so I'd say I'd say InGen did a good job on this one. I think 80%, I, I think that sounds about right. Um, yeah, unmistakably a triceratops, but there are a few, a few small things in which it varies from the real-life animal. Um, so yeah, next up we have the Cynoceratops. So this one's a relatively recent addition to the franchise, appearing in Fallen Kingdom and then Camp Cretaceous as well. Um, Cynoceratops, that name means Chinese horn face, and that obviously refers to where it was found. It was found in China, would have lived in the late Cretaceous around 73 million years ago, and was actually a relatively recent discovery, uh, discovered in 2008 and was the first ceratopsid discovered in China, and that's the group of ceratopsians that includes Triceratops, Styracosaurus, and similar animals. So this one is quite an interesting one, isn't it, James? This is a very interesting-looking creature in real life and in the movies. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we know within Jurassic World, this dinosaur's had a bit of a history just in the sense that it was going to be yes. another ceratopsian in, in terms yeah. of Pachyrhinosaurus, and obviously they changed the design and stuff, but then they didn't really kind of match it to it yeah. that much. But, you know, I think, like, the way it's depicted in... like I like the design in terms of, like, the colorization and stuff, but obviously it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty big in the film. Yes. It's, like, a pretty oversized, really, for actually what it what we know the fossil to actually be so yeah um, so it was in real life estimated around six meters long now the dpg um website lists it as eight meters long in the film but that scene when it's standing over owen makes it look a lot, lot bigger 10 meters yeah. Long. yeah yeah definitely it's, it's colossal yeah. <laughs> it's a huge thing um and yeah i think this is a a really unique and interesting story like as you said this 
started out as a Pachyrhinosaurus, and we know this for sure because early concept art was labeled Pachyrhinosaurus, the early size chart had it listed as Pachyrhinosaurus, and the, the Mattel toy from 2018 is a Pachyrhinosaurus. It is a Pachyrhinosaurus. There's no question about it. It's got a completely different design. Um, it's And yeah, looking at the early concept art, there's some really interesting things in the fact that um, obviously the, the animal in the movie, it probably out of all the ceratopsians here, has the most striking frill in that it curls almost all the way over and has two big holes in it. Now, having holes in frills, that's that's an interesting kind of position to take. As far as I'm aware, that probably wouldn't have been likely in, in, in life, would it? I think like the fenestra is just like, because it's just exposed and I feel like... Yeah. I feel like it's kind of taken a bit of inspiration from like the Pachyrhinosaurus that we saw in Walking with Dinosaurs. Yeah, like, Apache. Yeah, Apache. And it's just like there's some, I think there are some influences that I've kind of come into Jurassic a little bit from other media. But I feel as well, like when you think about it, it doesn't kind of make sense in the sense that like, you'd think it'd probably be covered with skin. Because um, yeah. like a hole like that, you know, if that, if a branch gets stuck through there or whatever, or whatever, or, you know, even another it, horn or another, another horn, you know, you know, or, you know, if it trips and falls and gets caught, it's not very good. So I think it probably would have been covered probably in skin. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's an interesting design choice to sort of show it, but um, I think it probably would have been probably covered. Yeah, I think it also in one of those early concept art pieces, it literally is uh, almost like a one-to-one of Patchy from Walking with Dinosaurs, the movie, mm. in that one side of its head has the horn and the other one doesn't. And I think, oh, as with a lot of the Fallen Kingdom dinosaur designs, they were shown, obviously they were let free on the island for a few years without proper care. And they, like the Baryonyx has lots of scar marks on it. They were They were designed to show that they had been out of their pens and they'd been they'd been clashing so that that probably fed into that sign which is really cool but then yeah for for some reason it got picked up and they they kept the hole on both sides um probably probably an artistic choice and it is very striking uh, i will say like it's it's an incredible looking design it's it's almost fantastical to a certain degree because the the frill of the animal does really tip forward and it did for the real life cyanoceratops um so that's that's obviously taken taken inspiration from that but it has yeah it, it's curled right over which is really yeah it's really striking gives it a really um definitive silhouette which possibly could have informed that design to make sure that audiences would know it's not a triceratops that um, could i think that's probably awesome. why they've done it i think this is the thing when you look at all the jurassic well, dinosaurs, they've all been made basically to be quite distinct from one another so that the audience doesn't really get confused. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think that's probably the reason. Um, I think it's also, like I've talked about before, like the hadrosaurids, I feel like we haven't really had that many ceratopsians. There's so many different ones, you know, different species, yeah. and it's just like we don't have... We've only got like three, you know, possibly four so far in terms of like what's been shown. Obviously, the Pachyrhinosaurus hasn't properly yes. kind of well made it into the films yet. But I feel like yeah. the Sino obviously is kind of like a kind of a bit of a mixture of it anyway. But um... yeah, that's interesting because obviously the Pachyrhinosaurus in name appears in Fallen Kingdom and the auction scene, but that's yeah, it does almost a hundred percent a hangover from the original version of this this animal. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see like some of the dinosaurs that appear in Dominion because obviously 
the Nisutoceratops just sort of came about from Battle of Big Rock and just appeared. And it was never sort of what we know, it was never on Nublar. And then we've got all these different dinosaurs that are suddenly sort of been released or whatever. We we kind of have an inkling from Camp Cretaceous as to why, but it doesn't really delve too deep into it really. But um, yeah, yeah. I, I guess uh, in, in, in an out-of-universe way, it's it's a good way of getting in new species He's without in, being yeah. abandoned, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, so on the Sinoceratops, so along with that really distinctive frill, which differs quite a lot from the real-world animal, it does retain a horn, a, lo- uh, a horn on the end of its uh, nose above the beak. Uh, the one in the movie, though, it's a really long horn. Um, it looks more like a styracosaurus horn to me um than what has kind of been recovered for cynoceratops it but then as you said about triceratops we have the bone cores of horns in fo- in the fossil record but the keratinous sheath that would have gone on top of that could have been quite long so it would be it's not like this this isn't accurate it it just that isn't what's represented in the in the fossil bone that we have yeah and I, I think this is the thing. I think like within the fossil record, there's only so much information that we can get. Um, and obviously we, we don't know what these animals truly look like, you know, yeah. in their prime, unless we find like a proper fossilized mummified version of it. Um, you know, and we have found like fossil, fossil mummified versions of dinosaurs, you know, Edmontosaurus yeah. and stuff like that, you know, skin impressions and everything. So, but I feel like because we, we haven't found like a proper mummified version of the face it's kind of difficult to tell what it properly kind of looked like in terms of its sort of outward appearance in terms of its sort of um colorization and and stuff like that so yeah um i think it would be this would be a great opportunity to dive more into um what we alluded to with the triceratops in terms of the feet being a bit off for the ceratopsians because obviously this um starting its life as pachyrhinosaurus this design has taken a few cues from rhinoceros um, species, including its its feet are very rhino-like, so they they're kind of almost like stumps with five nails um, around them, and then like a cushioned pad at the back to impact uh, to soften the impact upon the bones. That's what um, rhinos and elephants have in the modern day. But the actual um, the fossil record of ceratopsian feet look quite different, don't they? Yeah, I mean they're more much more claw-like, um, and it, you know obviously the the phalange is just sort of a bit more outward. I think that's the thing. I feel like with the like you said that it's more elephant based. Anyway, I suppose this is the thing. I feel like they're kind of taken sort of inspiration from animals that we have, you know, extinct yeah. animals of today, which is fair enough. But at the same time, it's kind of a bit odd when you're kind of mixing kind of elephant and sort of rhinos or feet with 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 you know a ceratopsian. But um, I suppose they're trying to get it fairly accurate but then it just looks a bit odd um yeah yeah it's it's one of those things where um it makes sense on your eyes if you don't know what the fossils look like because that's how we expect large animals to look like in the modern day and uh for for the average you know audience cinema goer they're they're really not going to notice and but yeah like it, it's it's strange when you look at a triceratops's front feet because they have five toes that are quite splayed out, but only three of them are clawed, mm. as opposed to these kind of like almost almost hoof like. Yeah, um, it is like hoof like. Whereas like the hoofs are more like seen in hadrosaurs. Um, yeah. So, 
And I, I guess maybe part of this stems from, I mean, this is, this is speculation here, but the fact that um, the teams working on the original Jurassic, um, they actually used uh, elephants and rhinos as references for how the dinosaurs would walk in the film. So they, have, they, they took loads of reference footage and photos of these animals in action. And it's quite understandable that a lot of that might have bled over into the designs if that's what they're using as a base for how these animals moved. Um, so yeah, potentially that could be another contributing factor to why why the the feet do look the way they do in these animals. Yeah, I think it's important to know that the paleontology within Jurassic has obviously has been changing quite a lot, and also now Steve Brasati's come in, we know that yeah. some of the positions, like for instance, like a lot of the the theropods, um, a lot of the uh, hands of the claw yes. um, positions have changed from being pronated yeah. to sort of a neutral position now. So it's becoming a little bit more paleo accurate. I mean, Jurassic's never going to be 100% paleo accurate, yeah, but yeah, yeah. influences are coming in that are changing sort of the positions and shapes of sort of dinosaurs and how they, how they move and stuff and, and the positions of, of, of their anatomy. So, which is, which is always positive. Yeah, definitely. It's a positive. And then, yeah, in terms of behavior with the Sinoceratops, um it even though it does it does feature in a few scenes in fallen kingdom there's there's one particular one that i think stands out and that's its uh clash with the carnotaurus um on the side of mount saibo um and that was actually a really good kind of it's the first time that we've seen in one of these um these jurassic films until battle at big rock where we see a ceratopsian actually engage in some sort of combat and you do actually see it, the Carnotaurus bouncing off of the frill of the Sinoceratops in that scene. You do, yeah. I mean, it's a really great scene. I mean, it's quite a short scene, but it, the way it's filmed, I, I love the way it's filmed because obviously the camera's yeah. like following it and then it's following what's happening with Claire and Franklin and Owen. And there's so much yeah. going on in that scene. Obviously, you've got the volcano, the volcano behind, you know, exploding. Um, so there's a lot, a lot going on, but um, I, I feel like the way that action's depicted is is pretty, pretty awesome. Really, it's quite a, quite a great scene to watch. Yeah, it's 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 quite unique amongst the Jurassic films to actually see the dinosaurs themselves kind of have a bit of a, a scuffle. Um, apart from the raptors fighting large theropods, uh, yeah, it's 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 it was really cool to see something like that, and I hope we do get more of that sort of stuff uh, in the future. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a really cool scene. Um, right. I think it's time for another dino DNA genome completion, uh, percentage for this one. It's a tricky one because if, if we're going off of the real life Sinoceratops rather than Pachyrhinosaurus, even for Pachyrhinosaurus, I'd say probably around 50. Yeah, I'd say that's about fair. I mean, we, we know anyway, they're not 100% pure anyway. Yeah. But, you yeah, know, it's yeah. like, it is basically, it is kind of a Pachyrhinosaurus that's just been kind of morphed into a Sinoceratops. And it's just like, yeah. well, it was going to be one dinosaur and now it's changed into a, you know, a, a different one. So um, I think, yeah, I'd say 50 is about right, really. Um, yeah, yeah yeah and that's not to say it's not a gorgeous design it's yeah it it just is quite different from the real life animal but is is definitely a I'm, i mean i'm currently looking at the mattel figure i have the the re-release that they did for camp cretaceous and it is just such a cool design 
Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a, a great animal in the, in the films, and I do hope I do hope we get to see more of it um, in in live action. That would be great. Well, I think we will do. Obviously, we know it was in. Um, it was probably on the list of, of animals brought yes. back, wasn't it? From from Nublar and stuff. So yeah. I think we did see a few of them come out of the Lockwood Manor. I, can't I think we, yeah, there are some in uh, in the. Um, in the manner when when it's filling up with with the yeah. toxic gas, yeah, yeah there sure. are. So um, so yeah, we'll probably definitely see more of it in Dominion. Yeah, cool. Uh that'll be great. And and then that we move on to our final um, Ceratopsian that, well, if we know is definitely going to be in Dominion, and that's not a leak or a spoiler. It was revealed. Um, I think it was on Colin Trevorrow's Instagram. A young Nasuto Ceratops. Um, it's for sure going to be in Dominion um, and, of course, made its debut in Battle at Big Rock. Um, and this this is a, yeah, we've already spoken about it a bit. It's a really cool design and also popped up in that um, that five minute IMAX preview for Dominion as well in the Cretaceous section. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I love that scene. That was my favorite yeah. scene in the in the, the, pro, in the prologue. Yeah, because yeah. It, it, there was so much going on. Like you had the, dino, you, had, you know, the Nisutoceratops crossing the river. And then you had one that was, you know, you had a few that were bathing in there. There was one Nisutoceratops that had its horn broken that was walking through. Um, you know, they were walk- walking as a herd, obviously kind of migrating together. Um, and there was a lot of, you know, behaviours that have been shown. You had like the juvenile with his mum sort of yeah. walking along. It was just, it was such a great scene. And it kind of, you know, you kind of like look at that and then you look at how like wildebeest, you know, yeah, are in you know in the savannah in Africa, and it's very similar. It's like got like cinematic parallels of like today, and kind of back in the Cretaceous. And I really loved it just because of all the the animalistic behaviors on show. Yeah, and I think um, there there is um, evidence in the fossil record. There are there have been ceratopsians found in in up to their hundreds found at the same site. I mean this. This could be uh, down to them being washed down river, um, but it's happened a few times where lots of ceratopsians have been found um, buried together. So there's there's quite a bit of credence to the fact that they, they would have moved in these large groups as well, as depicted in that preview. And actually, uh, they're walking through a river. So yeah, that could be their final resting place. Who knows? Um, but yeah, that was um, that was a really cool scene, just seeing that huge herd together for sure. Um, so yeah, Nasuto Ceratops, um, obviously we've got Ceratops, so horned face, but Nasuto, we've got large nosed horned face, um, and that's in reference to its really distinctive, um, it's, it's, it is, it does have a horn above its, its beak, but it's not a horn how you'd expect from other dinosaurs. It's not, it doesn't have a pointed end, it's more of like a rounded kind of, um, protrusion it's it's a really interesting skull and it this one it at first look for first first sight for most people they might mistake it for a triceratops but there are a couple of key features on that skull along with that more rounded horn above its its beak it's those it's the two horns above its eyes as well isn't it james yeah i mean they're very ball like aren't they i mean they're, they're very yeah. very distinct and obviously the frill is quite a bit shorter it also doesn't go yeah. around like the back of the neck it's more of sort of yeah. fixed to the back of the head yeah. Um, yeah and also the beak's just pretty huge like we lose the nose the nasal horn and and the beak's sort of enlarged um so yeah it's a very distinct ceratopsian yeah yeah and um so this one would have lived around 65 
uh, around 65 million years ago in Utah, uh, would have shared its habitat with other ceratopsians as well. So that's really interesting in terms of that niche partitioning that you were talking about earlier, James. I wonder if there may have been a kind of intra, um, no, interspecies. Is it intra when it's... Yeah, interspecies, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> interspecies kind of competition. Um, and w was another recent discovery, um, discovered in 2010, and the, it was named Nasutoceratops in 2013, originally named Nasutoceratops, but was changed in 2013. So, that, so yeah, a really recent discovery. Um, and, yeah, just an absolutely fantastic-looking creature. Um, would have been, in real life, around 4.5 uh, metres long, so quite a bit smaller than Triceratops, around half the size of Triceratops, and would have stood around the same size as an adult human at the hips. Um, if we compare that size to the ones we see in Battle at Big Rock, I think it has been sized up a little bit. It has been. I think it was sized up. I mean, like when we look at the male in Battle of Big Rock, it's slightly bigger than the the female. Um, yes. But yeah, I, 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 like you can tell they've been sized up a bit. But then it's kind of understandable, really, because yeah. obviously you can sort of see. I think if they had kept it the same size, it probably would have looked really quite small compared to the Allosaurus. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it, I, I get why they they sized it up. Absolutely. For, for the scene. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, you know, in-universe that could be because they filled in gaps with Triceratops DNA as well. Um, obviously, remains to be seen. Um, but, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that it's been sized up for the film. Um, and, yeah, in terms of, like, comparing a skull shape, the, the female, the one that we see originally, that's really close. It is. Skull it's that we it's have, really, it? really close. Um, yeah. I, I think I, I, I just love the, the Nesthetoceratops design in the films, really, just yeah. because, you know, we, we saw it in Battle of Big Rock, but also in the Dominion Pro. I feel like it's yes. it's got such a distinct design. It um, does. So, yeah, and obviously I know the um, the frill and the, the horns are quite exaggerated for the, for the male, but I get that they kind of did that to kind of differentiate it when it came rushing yeah. in to sort of protect yeah. its, its group. So That dimorphism was actually really... It was excellent to see a distinct male and female um, because obviously that's happened a few times throughout the franchise, but there's a lot of, you know, discrepancies. But this was very clear that there was a male and a female and they visually, you could tell they were the same species, but they had quite, quite clear... Different. Yeah, it was quite yeah. clear sort of different sort of adaptations that they both had. Um, yeah. And it made them quite distinct. But um, yeah, but yeah, I, th I think it's, it's, it's really great, the fact that the way they're depicted as well in in Battle of Big Rock, it's, again, it's more animalistic behaviour. And I, th I think like any scenes, like obviously we saw in the, the Dominion prologue, where the they're just doing their their thing and just like eating or feeding or just trying to just 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 ambling by. I think it's really interesting just to see how they're depicted. You know, these were once living dinosaurs, and now they're they're being recreated. You know, on screen, and it's just like it's it's always great to see how 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 the depictions have kind of changed and how the behaviors have changed because obviously yeah in the first Jurassic Park we, we saw the Triceratops we didn't really do anything it was just sort of labored breathing and then we we started to see it move um in the lost world and then obviously in JP3 and then we're seeing these other Ceratopsians it's interesting how they're being depicted and how they're being sort of contrasted in terms of their movement and the movement's yeah. sort of fairly similar as well you know obviously we see them sort of, we saw that the juveniles seem to have a bit more sort of life in them compared to the adults and, and a bit more playful, um, which is really interesting to see because we see this all the time within 
the animal the animal kingdom now we see a lot of you know juveniles and younglings learning from the, their environment and from the behavior of their parents so so that was an interesting thing to sort of see in in the pro you know in the the battle of big rock um yeah pre, you know preview but um but yeah it's i i feel like this reconstruct like the way they reconstructed it you know i'd say it's it's fairly sort of on point really i don't yeah, really have yeah. much have much criticism really for it apart from i suppose just sort of the the rhinoceros type you know feet really that we that we've yeah. kind of seen <laughs> back again yeah it has got really long and and sharp horns that may be a bit longer than they would have been in fossil record but then once again we don't have the keratin sheath for these horns so yeah. we don't know for sure so yeah um and that's once again it, it was in a fight scene so it makes sense why it has you know these emphasized kind of defensive traits and uh, there was one really striking thing about this dinosaur i thought apart from its appearance in which you know obviously we have the character in the in the thing uh, in basilet big rock say it's in the pseudoceratops but i'm sure lots of people watching would have gone oh triceratops it has a really cool vocalization it has a really deep resonant vocalization um and that is actually probably quite accurate because it's it's named large nosed horned face it has these um these large chambers around its nostrils these large nasal cavities on the fossil so it could potentially have made these kind of resonant vocalizations because that when that male charges in it is it's almost like a bullhorn goes off it's so cool yeah, I mean, it's got um, pneumatic nasals, which are un unknown in any other sort of ceratopsids, and they're pretty huge, aren't they? So it's just yeah. like, you know, the vocal. I think the vocalization about the like, big rocks really is such a loud sort of. It's like a trumpet going off, but it's yeah. like even it's yeah, even yeah. louder. It's just like it's so so loud and sort of. It's definitely obviously a sort of a distress kind of. You, you could obviously hear that as either sort of a distress call or a you know obviously it's trying to frighten the predator away um so obviously you know probably would have used that you know obviously in real life um obviously to communicate with its own species but also to obviously make make others you know know that there's a threat and, and everything um but yeah the sort of the the nasal sort of portion is, is exceptionally large for, for the animal um so it's possible you know it might have had um sort of you know sort of skin sacks or something that might have inflated potentially i mean we don't we don't wow. really know but you know it's, it's a possibility isn't it you know we see this in, in other in other animal species so yeah, it's it's yeah that the 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 noise. I think they they really got a great sound for this because there there is some some dinosaurs in in um in a Jurassic franchise and some of the the more recent installments, they they have um calls that sound quite similar to other dinosaurs like the for example the Sonoceratops sounds a lot like the Pachycephalosaurus from the Lost World, but they really found a a really cool identity for the Nasutoceratops in terms of audio, which is a huge part. Of these creatures and also it it didn't stray too far from what could potentially have been real as well so i this is an excellent just an excellent kind of depiction of this creature i think it's just turned out really well i think i'll go back to watching battle at big rock later on and just watch yeah. it a couple of times over just to take it and again it's been ages since i've seen it yeah you know, so i think it'd be good to rewatch because obviously it's only eight minutes and it's not very long so there's not much footage but um yeah but what we do get is really really great to see yeah, and I can imagine if it ever does get a, a proper release on the big screen, that call is going to be absolutely fantastic, isn't it? With the big cinema speakers, that would be that would be great to see. Still holding out hope for a <laughs> a theatrical release, maybe <Yeah>. one day. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so for this one, I think this one's going to get a high uh, ge genome completion. I think I'm I'm tempted to go up to ninety percent for this. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I think ninety percent's pretty fair to be honest. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty spot on. Apart from you know the rhinoceros like feet, but yeah, you know I, I do like the actual design as well, just in terms of the colorization because yeah, it's, it's it's really interesting. Um, yeah. That's a good point, actually. It's it's really colourful, and so is the Sinoceratops. Actually, they both got quite um, distinct colour colours on their crests as well. The Nasutoceratops has those highlights of reds and oranges, and the 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 Sinoceratops has has those tans and, and orange circles. So that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's like a mixture, isn't it? Sort of grey, sort of reddy, sort of colours. Yeah. Um, it just yeah. makes it more distinct from the other Ceratopsins we've seen throughout the franchise, which have kind of been sort of a bit muted in terms of the colorization really haven't they so yeah yeah i think this yeah this is a this is a fantastic design um and ju just quickly before we wrap up there's a few things that have kind of um come up about triceratops in the past 20 years and it'd be cool to just kind of go through and see if we can find any any facts or any myths here um there was uh, a paper that suggested that triceratops could have had porcupine like like quills and spines because of the scoots that it had on its back but this hasn't really this hasn't really caught on there's not so much evidence to support this is there james no there isn't uh, i was reading some information about that earlier and yeah there's not um much uh, evidence for that at all really in terms of sort of integumentary structures on triceratops it's like yeah i mean the scales are quite big anyway but i feel like is from what I, I've seen, it seems to be less likely um, based on on the on the on the species and just the fact that we, we've got evidence of integumentary structures in you know ceratopsians like Cetacosaurus. We've got like these quills on the back of the tail, yeah, um, yeah, which is really fascinating. But there's so many specimens that have been found with that to back that up. We, we've got no evidence of that within Triceratops at yeah. all. So it's unlikely that they had that at all. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's really interesting to note that this has actually been depicted in Jurassic Media for the cover of Jurassic Park Redemption, the IDW comic that ran in 2010. For, for, for the issue two of that comic, there was an image of a herd of Triceratops in front of a car. It was set in Texas, and they actually have those those quills, and it's the, it's the classic Jurassic design with those quills, and I thought that was really interesting. Quite a striking image probably the best thing to come out of that comic book in my opinion no offense anyone who out there who are massive redemption fans but um yeah the the rest of that comic didn't quite live up to the jurassic name i mean uh, you'll, you'll find paleo art out there where someone's like depicted it but it's i wouldn't say it's obviously paleo accurate i mean i think it's important yeah. to distinguish between um you know with, with every in terms of sort of paleo art in in terms of accuracy they're all reconstructions and they're also like some of these dinosaurs that have been found we've got like skeletal um sort of drawings and stuff and they've only found one bone and they're basing the entire dinosaur on yeah, one bone yeah. which may be in the back half of the dinosaur and it tells you nothing about sort of the skull shape um the, the you know the arms the legs or anything and um you know we some of these dinosaurs we know nothing about but then suddenly we know based on one bone which maybe in the pelvis or something that it looks like a theropod or something and it's just like well it's probably going to look quite different if we find more fossil material and obviously in paleo art a lot of it is um paleo artists putting their own inspiration on you know yeah. their own things in um their own adaptations in 
Um, and also like basing it on the extant animals that we see around today and, you know, similarities there. Um, yeah. but until obviously we have the full fossil, you know, and the fossilized material, whether it's skin or feathers, you know, or other, other filaments or whatever, we don't know the full, what the full animal looks like. So I think it's like, in terms of like, obviously Triceratops, we know it, it had these large scales, but we found no evidence of integumentary structures on it. And it's unlikely that it had them. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that Ceratopsians didn't have them because we know from Cetacosaurus that some of them did. So I think um, we may see other, other quilled Ceratopsians in the future based, you know, in, within the fossil record, you know, we'll just yeah. have to wait and see. But um, but it is in, it's interesting to speculate. But at the same time, we also need to to just go by what we know in the fossil record and not get carried away because obviously... The way dinosaurs are depicted within media is quite important in terms of how people, per, per, you know, perceive them. Um, yeah. So I think I, I find this discourse within paleo art in terms of paleontological reconstruction really quite strange in terms of it's got to be accurate because when people criticise Jurassic World, Jurassic World has never been going for full paleo accuracy and it never has done. Yeah. Um, it's been taking the influences within paleontology and taking the advice and bringing it on board. But the film, the film franchise has always been science fiction. But then yeah. you'll get people within the paleo art community criticizing the films, but then praising an artist's representation of a dinosaur that has all these adaptations and all these different things that look very different to what we know within the fossil record. And you can't have yeah. it both ways. It's either kind of, you know, if you're getting upset about one thing and then not about something else, it's quite strange. So, right. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, a lot of paleo artists out there obviously are doing some really great art like mark witten's a fantastic paleo oh, yeah, artist gorgeous stuff. um i haven't actually got any of his books yet but um you know i've seen a lot of his art artwork online and stuff and you know, it's incredible you know drawing and you know you know painting and stuff it's just i i like how having that special talent it's just really special to be able to sort of draw like that i mean i, I wish i could yeah. do that and that's like yeah <laughs> something you know i'd love to do be able to draw like that but i know i know i can't and it's just like well yeah you know, but um, but you know, it's it's great to see how these depictions of dinosaurs have changed from like yeah. the nineteen seventies or the sixties or whatever, all the way through, even from like Victorian times. Just how how we know like the postures of dinosaurs have changed based on the fossil record, but just like the depictions of them as well has just changed throughout media. You know, yeah. all the way through. It's really great to see. I think that could definitely be an episode in its own right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all it could about be. paleo art. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. It's definitely. It's so fascinating. So there's one last thing about Triceratops, and that is that um, for a while, uh, and he might still be um, uh, promoting it, but uh, Jack Horner, the paleontological advisor for the first four Jurassic movies, um, was a proponent of a theory that Triceratops was actually a, ju a juvenile version of Taurosaurus. Actually, it was, this... the, it was the mature... So actually, it was the... Taurosaurus was the mature part of ah. Triceratops. So Triceratops hadn't been fully grown, so it would have evolved more yeah. into sort of what we see in Taurosaurus. But that yeah. kind of theory's kind of been um kind of rejected now. Like it yeah. was a it was a theory that was put back a few few years ago. Um, but basically there's no synony synonymy between Triceratops and Taurosaurus. It can't can't be supported based on the I think yeah. it's based mostly on the fossil record and there's just quite a lot of differences between both of them anyway. I, I think yeah. Horner and, and somebody else was trying to put forward that there was um that they were basically the same species. Um, but there's been quite a lot of evidence now suggesting that's not the case. Um yeah. but again, this is the thing with paleontology because obviously 
a lot of the fossil specimens do kind of overlap there's lots of similarities in terms of what we see in the bone structure i mean another one is like another example is like dracorex and pachycephalosaurus um we have you know there's a lot of um discussion about are they the same the same dinosaur and yeah yeah from what i know about that again it's, it's quite controversial but i i feel mm-hmm. like there might be slightly a bit more evidence for for that in terms of sort of them being the same dinosaur but with with triceratops and taurosaurus it seems to be quite clear that there's quite a lot of i think quite a lot of differences between sort of both di- both species of dinosaur in terms of sort of the the frill and um sort of the you know the holes in the frill and everything and um just sort of the, the you know the frill shape and everything i feel like um they're trying to make there's definitely a distinction there and then it's not triceratops sort of becoming more you know taurosaurus becoming a mature form of that dinosaur so yeah um, yeah i think there's also evidence to suggest that a few taurosaurus specimens that we do have um have shown signs that they haven't fully matured yet so they themselves are immature immature yeah specimens Mm -hmm. yeah so that kind of sorts out and yeah on that note about pachycephalosaurus dracorex and stiggy moloch that will be its own episode we'll be covering those at some point in the future um but for now i think that pretty much wraps it up for this edition of dino dna so thank you so much for joining me james do you want to shout out where people can find you at yeah so you can follow me on twitter at jurassic james one um but you can also find me on my blog as well which is jurassicfindsblog.com i haven't actually written much articles over this past year because of my uni master's paleobiology work but um but i'm hoping to get back to writing and writing for the jp podcast as well once all my uni works out of the way but um but yeah so probably best place to find me is on twitter though at jurassic james one excellent and uh yeah you can find me at connor ontology on instagram and twitter as well and yeah if you if you enjoy dino dna and you want to see specific things covered please just uh please just write it on the either message me write it on my timeline or the Jurassic Park podcast timeline of specific things that you'd like to see come up in the show but once again thank you so much for joining me james it's been an absolute pleasure again yeah it's been great thank you for having me on And uh, for everyone listening, thank you so much for tuning in to this edition and I'll catch you on the next one. Goodbye for now. Bye everyone. Thank you so, so much for listening to the 294th episode of the Jurassic Park podcast. Of course, a huge thanks goes out to Connor and James for doing what I cannot and, and talking about the dinosaurs of the Jurassic Park franchise. It's always great when you can rely on other people within the community to give their perspective on things that you just cannot. Uh, and that's me. I, I don't know, uh, you know, all the ins and outs of dinosaurs, but Connor and James do. So why not leave it to them to talk about all those ceratops scenes out there? There's not a ton uh, for the Jurassic franchise, but we do get to learn about them today. And, uh, you know, out of out of the ones that we have, um, I I am. Uh, it's so hard not to just love the the Triceratops, of course, but like the additions of of the Cynoceratops and the Nasutoceratops are just so so good, um, and they they kind of spice up that that uh, you know typical Triceratops look. So anyway, I, my commentary on the Ceratopsians is pretty poor. So we'll move on from that. So thank you so much again to Connor of Dino DNA along with James as well. Please go check out their links in our show notes.
And of course, I do want to give it up to Tom. Again, thank you to Tom for all of the Jurassic World Evolution 2 coverage this week. Uh, killer job, amazing job. And thank you to Frontier for giving us the opportunity once again to play uh, the game early and to get some content out there for everybody to watch. Uh, but before we get out of here, I did want to go ahead and read a review from Apple Podcasts. So please, if you have not yet, just please give uh, two seconds every time. Go leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. You can leave us five stars. That would be really, really appreciated. Uh, that's the most amount of stars you can give. And please also leave us a review. Write a review in there. And I will read them here on the show if you write one in there for us. So this one today comes from uh, a Blop1 dollar sign. Uh, okay. Uh, and uh, the subject here is Jurassic Park Podcast. Very good subject. I, I like that. I dig that. Uh, the body here says, Hi, Brad. Think your podcast is great. I've been listening to, uh, for two years so far. Thanks. Uh, awesome. That's it. That's a review. And I read it. And uh, that's what that's what happens when you leave a review. I will read them here on the show. So thank you so much to Blop1 dollar sign. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Um, any Anytime anybody leaves a review, it's super awesome to us. And we always, always appreciate it. And it helps us get the word of mouth out there. And, and the more and more uh, reviews that come in, the, the higher that number, uh, the more trust I think people have in the show. Whether it... Uh, you know, actually ends up mattering or not. I, I, I don't even care, but like, uh, it's always good to get that feedback from people and, and to have a little bit of reliability. I think, uh, you know, sometimes you look at reviews on Amazon and, uh, for, for, you know, your product that you're buying a, a Jurassic toy or whatever the thing may be. And you're like, eh, I kind of trust these reviews. And, uh, I hope the same goes for Apple podcasts as well. So thank you so much to each and every person that leaves one. Like I said, I will read them here on the show and I, I always appreciate it, but, uh, that's all I have for everybody this week. Uh, once again, do your best to stay safe out there, as always. And uh, the number one thing, though, is to be kind to each and every person that you come into contact with. Uh, always trying to say that over here, just to be kind, because you, you absolutely never know what somebody's dealing with. So please, do your best out there. Stay safe. Stay kind. Um, and, and we'll be back next week. And I hope you enjoy the bonus episode. Go listen to that. Go watch the videos. Do all the things. Thank you so, so much for listening. And enjoy. I'm going to go ahead and hand it off to myself for the outro. Thanks, everybody. Saddle up. Let's get this movable feast underway. Be sure to give us a follow over on Twitter, at Jurassic Park Pod, and myself, at Brad Jost. Also on Facebook and Instagram, at Jurassic Park Podcast. Don't forget to join the Jurassic Park Podcast group on Facebook. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, our website, or wherever else podcasts are found. So be sure to follow along. Also, don't miss our live streams, toy hunts, reviews, in-depth bonus content, gameplay, event and theme park coverage, and much more on our YouTube channel. If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We will read your reviews at the end of most episodes, so be sure to spare no expense. Find us on the web at JurassicParkPodcast.com where you'll find today's episode's show notes, articles, contributor bios, and so much more. If you want to get a hold of us, you can fill out the contact form on our website or send emails to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. We're always looking for new segments, contributors, mailbag submissions, or anybody who just wants to say hello. Feel free to call our voicemail line at any time to leave us a message. 
That number is 732-825-7763. Make sure to be kind to everybody and stay safe out there. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Five minutes. Drop what you're doing and leave now.